heading in towards the Advent season. And uh, we're going to take a pause during Advent and uh, be focused on uh, the coming of Christ, the longing for the coming of Christ during the season of Advent. And this is actually a pretty good time in our teaching series to be pausing because we're kind of in this hinge section of the book of Ephesians, where the first three chapters have been all about uh, Paul's proclamation of what Jesus has done in this world. He's kind of giving us, we've said, a set of glasses by which to see reality. And we're seeing God for who he is in Jesus Christ, seeing this world for how God has made it to work. Now, the second half of the book of Ephesians is like, if we get these glasses on, how do we walk? How do we live according to this vision that God has given to us? And so we'll pick that back up in the new year, really considering how to walk the Christian life with these glasses on. Uh, but today, um, it's actually the, the, um, the last day in the Christian, last Sunday in the Christian calendar. The beginning of the, of the year of the Christian calendar is Advent. So next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. That begins the, the Christian calendar year. The last Sunday of the year is Christ the King Sunday. And so the year begins um, with the first Sunday of Advent, longing for the coming of the King. The last Sunday in the Christian calendar, we're stating that He has come and He's ruling over all. And that's going to find its uh, theme uh, in this sermon this morning as well. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And Bjorn preached on verses 11 and 12 last Sunday, but verse 13 begins in the middle of a sentence. So I'm going to pick it up at the beginning of verse 11, all right? Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, Let's pray together at the outset, and I'm going to use a prayer for illumination uh, from an old ancient prayer. Almighty God, the most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word, now sown among us, may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it out, but that as seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth 30, 60, or 100-fold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. Well, uh, if you come to visit me uh, upstairs in my office, you're going to see in the, in the corner of my office a large palm tree. And I think we've got a picture of it here. I think we do. Hey, there it is. All right, good. In the corner of my office, there's a palm tree. Uh, I've had this palm tree for a number of years. Prior uh, to our move uh, down to this area, we lived in Alton, and uh, we had a large outdoor patio, and we had bought a small palm tree to go in the corner of our patio. 
And every spring, I would put out the palm tree. And by the end of the growing season, when I had brought it back inside, uh, it had grown significantly. Now, it's gotten to the point that I can't put the palm tree out by myself. Um, I'm, I try to wrangle somebody else to help me, my son if he's home. Um, to get this palm tree up to my office, I took a hand truck to, to uh, wheel it up there. So every year, I'm watching this palm tree grow. And I love the reminder in my office. One, during this time of year, as everything is beginning to look dead outside, I love the reminder of life. But I also love the reminder that God intends for living things to grow. Uh, healthy living things grow. And Paul is referencing this idea in the text that we're looking at this morning, that the church, when it's healthy, grows. And I want to consider this theme this morning, uh, a vision for church growth. And we must first ask the question, what is church growth? What does it mean, if someone was to ask you the question, is Be Free Church in Dover growing? Is the church that you're at attending, is it growing? What do we mean by that? Um, you know, I go to a, a lot of pastor gatherings, and uh, that question is rarely asked that bluntly, but it's asked subtly all the time. Uh, pastors want to know, uh, is your church growing? And what they mean by that definition is the ABCs of church organizations. Attendance, buildings, and cash. Uh, are there more people or more buildings, a bigger budget? Or, or to put more crassly, buildings, bucks, and butts. Are there more of those? All right. Now, what's interesting is that vision of growth is not the vision for growth that we see in Ephesians 4. Uh, nowhere there is Paul referencing a growing organization in terms of growth. Not that growing organizations are bad. It could be a wonderful thing. But the kind of growth that Paul is referencing is a growth that happens regardless of whether an organization is increasing or decreasing in attendance, buildings, or cash. Matter of fact, you could have an organization that is increasing in those terms, but decreasing according to the vision that Paul is laying out. So what is this vision for church growth? Um, I'm going to really lean into verse 15 and 16 today as we look at this text. Uh, in verse 15, Paul says that we are to grow up in every way into Him. We are to grow up in every way into Him. See, God's vision for church growth is about human maturity. It's about growing up, not just necessarily getting bigger as an organization. So what does it look like to grow up as human beings? What does a mature human being look like? Uh, when my daughter was uh, much younger, uh, I used to tell her that when you get older, probably your little brother is going to be taller than you. And she could not believe it and would not believe it. She'd say, but I'm older. Thinking that the standard for maturity meant if you're older, you're bigger. Mom and dad are older than me and they're bigger. I'm older than my brother right now. I'm bigger. And so she had this mixed up sense of what maturity looked like. The standard was off. And I would suggest that the standard for human maturity is just as off, if not more, for all of us in our culture today. 
I mean, just think about how we talk about the standard for human maturity in our culture. Is a person a grown-up adult once they get their driver's license? Is that the standard? Well, it could seem like that in one sense. Uh, is it when we can vote that we finally have come of age and we are now mature? Or is it when we can buy alcohol that we're finally grown up and mature? Or instead of going to a children's bookstore, you can go to an adult bookstore. Is that a standard of maturity? Or you can watch a mature movie. Do you see how we use all these terms in our culture? And it's no wonder that we're a little bit messed up about what a standard for a full-grown, mature human being actually looks like. Well, Paul gives us a standard in this text of what human maturity actually is. In verses 13 through 14, Paul describes the goal of Christian growth like this. Uh, I'm going to pick it up in the middle of the sentence. He talks about mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Now that phrase there, mature manhood, it just means full-grown human. He's saying a full-grown, mature human looks like Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is what humanity is meant to be. If you read through the scriptures, you realize there's two representative human beings in the biblical story. There is Adam, and every human being has made choices just like Adam. That Adam was the first human being and rebelled against God, and all of us since Adam have done the same thing. We've chosen to live life on our own terms rather than following God's intentions for our lives. But then there's another representative human being, Jesus Christ. And Paul, in another letter, calls him the second Adam. That he's Adam 2.0. And therefore, he is what humanity is actually meant to be. And connected to him, we can grow up. That Jesus Christ is the standard. I like how Paul references it. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul's calling us up to this standard. That church growth is about human beings growing, developing, maturing to become more like Jesus Christ. And, and Paul says uh, in uh, verses 15 that we're to grow up into him in every way. In every way. And let me kind of tease this out a little bit. I think there's three categories of our growth. Um, and I have three uh, vocab words for our day, all right? Uh, we have orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthocardia. That orthodoxy is about right belief. That as we grow up, we're actually coming to know and believe all that Jesus knows and believes. And so we read the scriptures. We hear Christian teaching, and we come to see life through that lens, that we're, we're not taking our understanding about life from um, other people in the culture, or even our own sense of what is right and good, that we believe what God says is true. So really, the question is not what is my truth, it's what is God's truth. And so orthodoxy, we are growing in right belief but that's not enough. We're also called to orthopraxy. That's right action. That we don't only come to know what's true, 
that we're learning to live life like Jesus did, and he's still alive, as Jesus does. And so the things that we see Jesus doing, how he uh, was generous, how he forgave, um, how he was merciful, uh, we begin to live out those kind of behaviors. And we're all on a growth curve, but we're learning to do the deeds of Jesus Christ. So there is a Christian way to live. And a full-grown, mature human being is learning to live that way. But there's one last area as well, and that's orthocardia. That's having the right heart. See, it's not enough to know the right things and do the right things if we do it for the wrong reason. And this is the sins of religious respectable people, and I include myself in here. It's so easy to know the right, or I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's tempting to know the right things and do the right things merely to feel superior, to be better than others. And Jesus says, if that's our motivation, it invalidates everything. Jesus was motivated by love. And so as we grow up to become mature human beings, we are motivated by love to know what is true and to do what is right. And so God is intending for us all who follow Jesus Christ to grow in right belief, right action, and a right heart. Therefore, this is what the church is to be about, helping human beings grow up to become like Jesus Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis says about the church's mission in his uh, book, Mere Christianity. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. That's the call of the church, to grow people in maturity. So the question for us, uh, has, uh, the, the question, are we growing? It really has not so much to do with are more people coming or less people coming. It has to do with are people becoming more like Jesus because they're part of this community. That, that's the standard for growth that we need to apply. I want to consider two more questions in the remainder of our time. Uh, the first of those two is, how does growth happen? If we're, we're called to grow up in Christ, how do we go about it ourselves in helping others grow in Christ? Um, you know, growth is not something that you can just will yourself to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if when you were younger, you ever wanted to grow up. Um, as you might notice, uh, I'm not that tall of stature. And when I was younger, I really wanted to be. I wanted to be taller. I wanted to be a forward or a center on the basketball team. That didn't happen. I, I was probably in my uh, when I was, I was early married years, I finally stopped buying my shoes a half size too big, thinking, I guess it's over. This is as, this is as tall as I'm going to get. You can't will yourself into physical growth. Now, you can certainly do things that affect it by nourishment. Um, there's a certain indirect kind of activity that helps growth happen. But through direct action, you can't make yourself grow. And it's actually similar in spiritual growth. Paul is not saying here, I wish you would grow up already. You know, get your act together. And it's easy to feel that. I mean, if you think about the, our vision for Christian growth being the standard of Jesus Christ, if you're like me, I immediately start feeling a little bit guilty. I know all the areas that I fall short. I know there's so much in my life that's not yet at the standard of Jesus Christ. And it can be very guilt-producing 
to think about that and then try harder uh, to become like Jesus. And effort is required, but it's an indirect kind of effort. See, how we grow up in Christ, um, it is a very unique and I don't want to say special kind of growth. And I want to hone in on a phrase here that Paul uses uh, in verse uh, 15. He says that we are to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. Well, why does he add this part? Why does he just say we're, we're to grow up and to be like Jesus? But he adds in this phrase, who is the head, into Christ. Why is it so important that we understand that Christ is the head and we are growing up into him? Uh, anybody here ever heard uh, the expression, uh, he's lost his head or, or she's lost her head? A few of you have, all right. You know, that, that phrase means that someone has become so agitated that they, they don't act sensibly. So maybe they're driving in traffic and get so irritable and so frustrated that all of a sudden road rage ensues and they do something completely illogical. Uh, we see unfortunate, horrible accounts of people even shooting people over road rage. You think, wow, how did, that, how did it get to that over getting cut off? Well, someone lost their head. They were no longer acting sensibly. Now, according to the scriptures, humanity has lost its head collectively. That's the picture in humanity, that we've collectively lost our head. We've been running around trying to live life separated from Jesus, who is the rightful ruler of all. Uh, we've been trying to live life, all of us, individually, as if we are the head ourselves. This is what all humans, starting with the first Adam, have done. We all try to decide for ourselves what is right and what is good. And as a result, we've made a mess of things. Human beings, we are not what we should be. Our world is not what it should be. Things are a mess. And like Humpty Dumpty, we can't just put it back together again. But what we've seen already in the book of Ephesians is that there is such good news that the message of the scriptures is not, will you get your act together? Will you put your head on straight? The message of the scriptures is that God himself is putting the head back on humanity. We saw this at the, in the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians 1.22, where Paul wrote, and he, he being God the Father, put all things under his, being Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That Jesus is the head. He's the rightful ruler of all. He has made everything. He has designed everything. He knows how life is to work rightly. Things work right in this world under Jesus' authority. And Jesus is fixing this world, starting with his church. So when we put our trust in Jesus we're getting our head on, that God is putting the head back on humanity. And with Jesus as our head, we grow up as mature human beings and begin to take that reality into every area of our lives. So the second half of Ephesians is about how to live with Jesus as your head. Instead of deciding for yourself how to live, it's how do I live under the leadership of Jesus Christ? How do I do that in my marriage, in parenting, in my work? How do I live with Jesus as head? Which begs a question for all of us. That is, is Jesus the head of your life? 
And this life does have a starting point. We, we call that faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 10, 9 to 10, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That word Lord means ruler, king. It has to do with his authority. If you recognize that Jesus is the rightful ruler of all and you put your life under his leadership, you will be saved. That we are fixed, redeemed, restored under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And that's what it looks like to first become a Christian as we recognize I'm not God and I have made a mess of life, but God has come to save me. In his death and his resurrection, Jesus is restoring what I have broken. And so we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ. And that life has major mile markers going from there. That those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they demonstrate that reality through baptism. That baptism is a mile marker showcasing that a person has died with Jesus Christ, has risen with him. He's in charge. He is granting life to this person. We identify ourselves with a church community. We want to live this life with others. And so there's the mile marker of committing yourself uh, into a body that we're one member of Christ's body. And this life is a daily walk. Every day, we're asking Jesus Christ to lead us in this day. I, I once had a, member say, uh, a mentor say, if Jesus is going to be Lord of my life, he has to be Lord of each day. And so we surrender each day to Jesus Christ as the leader. So how growth happens? How growth happens? It happens by remaining connected to Jesus as head. And when Jesus is head of our lives, growth happens. We begin to have his character produced in us. Uh, things like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, they're coming out of our lives because Jesus is in charge. The last question is, well, what is the result of that kind of growth? What happens when individuals are connected to Jesus as the head, and then are joined to one another. What's the result? In verse 16, Paul talks about the result. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The result of individual people growing up with Jesus as their head is that when we're put together in the church, unity happens. And we live in a world that longs for unity, but can't find unity. And usually we try to find unity through uniformity. Let's get everyone to think the same on each issue, then we can have unity and get along. But that's not what's happening here. This isn't the picture. It says when Jesus is the head, every part of the body, different parts, hands, knees, elbows, toes, uh, we're all different, so, so the members are diverse, but we're unified under the head. See, the reason that there isn't unity in any other group is we're all still trying to be the head. We're all still trying to get our thoughts, our way, our agenda to rule the day. But when we allow Jesus to be the head, we can have diversity, yet have unity. We each bring our part to bear in the community of which Jesus is the head. I love this picture here. This is why Paul uses it so often, that the church is the body of Christ. Uh, we all are different, different backgrounds, some different convictions on secondary things. And that's not only okay, it is good, because God uses that difference to continue to shape us and mold us and refine us. 
when Christ is the head, we can have these, different, these differences and yet be unified in Him. You know, my, my hope for us in the year ahead is that we'll look back and say, look how God grew us as a church over this past year. And sure, I hope that means more people. That would be great to see more people coming to follow Jesus Christ, more people uh, joining our gatherings. That would be wonderful. But that's a byproduct. What I think God wants more than anything is that each of us in this room would be able to say, I'm more like Jesus Christ at this point this year than I was last year. That I've seen the way that God has been working in my life, producing some of these characteristics in me. And now that almost always happen as we trust Jesus during difficulty. Most, um, most of our Christian life is preparation for the difficult times when God forms our character. And so over this coming year, as God walks us through all the stuff of life, I'm praying that we'll be growing in the character of Jesus Christ. And then as we are living life connected to one another, we're going to see a growth of unity, that we can still be one in Christ, even though we don't agree on, on everything. But Jesus is the head. So I'm praying at this time next year, we'll be able to have some tangible examples of growth, of character uh, in this community. I'm, I'm praying for that myself. I'm praying that for you all as well. Um, if you're a clock watcher, like I am trying to be, uh, we're actually ending a little bit earlier today because we're going to have communion. Um, so at this point, I want to actually invite uh, the worship team to come up. And I'm going to pray as they come up, and then we'll prepare to sing and then have communion together. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I'm so thankful uh, for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, you have not left us adrift in life uh, to figure things out ourselves. Uh, Lord, you have not looked upon us and, and uh, instructed us uh, to get our act together ourselves. Uh, Lord, but you have come for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for laying your life down for us. Uh, Lord, today uh, we recognize uh, that you are uh, King of Kings, uh, that you do have the rightful rule over all. And there could be uh, not a better person uh, to be ruling the universe. So Lord, uh, we surrender ourselves to you today. We ask for your will to be done in us individually. Lord, you know the areas where we need improvement. You know the areas in our life where there's still resistance to you and to your leadership. And I, I pray that in your mercy and your grace, you would expose those. And in your mercy and your grace, you'd correct those. God, I pray that as you continue to help us to live life together, that you would help us to have the unity of the Spirit. Um, that even though we are different, Lord, yet we are one in Christ. So God, I pray that you would grow us in unity in the coming year. And Lord, uh, on this day, we, as we prepare to celebrate communion together, we recognize um, what it costs you to bring about this unity, and what it costs you that we could grow up into maturity. And we thank you for giving your life for us. We thank you for taking our sin uh, on, in your body on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help uh, that reality to sink in more deeply to our minds and our hearts. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.